hour number three. Bill Michael Show. Good to have you on board. Good to have you on board. We're going to hear, well, not here. We're going to discuss what we heard from Matt LaFleur coming up here in just a few as he spoke to the media yesterday. I want to get into that a little bit because I think there's some things that were said without saying them. And uh, I want you to kind of, you know, kind of, kind of go along with me and we're going to, we're going to break all that down and decipher it and such. So that's coming up right now though. Mark Schofield, SB nation joining us uh, on the uh, hotline and you can find him at Mark Schofield over on uh, X or Twitter and on SB nation as well. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing well, Bill. How's everybody doing today? Well, uh, still licking the wounds from Monday night from a very, I, I guess for lack of a better term, an ugly performance. Um, as a standalone game and everybody watching that game, give me your assessment of where the Green Bay Packers are at right now. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the biggest question starts with Jordan Love. And uh, I know I just talked to Grant a second ago about it. I know people, you know, after a game like that, a performance like that, a three-interception night, there are going to be questions about the young quarterback. And I think – now, with respect to love, one of the things that I've been sort of watching this entire season, you know, and something that certainly bears out on film, it bears out on the numbers as well, he's an extremely aggressive quarterback. And aggression is good at times, but there are times when there's a double-edged sword, a double-edged sword nature to it. And I think that's what we saw on Monday night. I mean, that third interception, you flush yourself to the left and you try to solve the problem with a vertical throw downfield rolling to your left when you might have had some options elsewhere on the, elsewhere on the field. That's a very, very aggressive throw. Um, he's got intended air yards this year of 9.9, which is most of the NFL. NFL next-gen stats tracks what they call aggressive throws. He's, I think, first or second in that category, along with Kenny Pickett. It's only like 28% of his throws are charted as aggressive, which means you know, they're downfield into coverage. He's got to learn to sort of sometimes take the layups, sometimes take the checkdowns. Even on that third interception, you've got receivers in the middle of the field. You've still got a timeout. You could spike it. It might have been an easier option. You know, yes, the receivers may be a step open, but that's a tough throw to make. And so, you know, I, I think get in love to sort of dial it back a tiny bit will be a good start. You know, I still, for the most part, think this is a team that in that division, when you certainly take a, a look around and maybe Detroit might be pulling ahead a little bit, but you look at, you know, Chicago still, I believe, has answers given their offense and, Yes, they had a nice little get-right game against Denver and then get their first win, but I think there are still questions about that offense. Minnesota certainly has some questions now with the Justin Jefferson injury. There's still a window for this team to make some noise in this division and in the NFC, but it starts, I think, with getting Jordan Love to sort of dial it back a little bit. Okay, he is the 19th sacked quarterback, 19th most sacked quarterback in the league, so it's not like he's always under siege. His completion percentage ranks him at 33rd, in the league and 28th when it comes to quarterback rating. Uh, you know, I know we put a lot of pressure on a young quarterback, and I say that only in the sense of experience. But what do you need to see? Because I said I'm going to go by how many times he's getting sacked, how many times he's throwing under pressure, uh, the interception number, obviously, but also the completion percentage. Those things are the keys that I look for in a quarterback, and he's bad in all of them right now. Uh, what do you look for in a quarterback to say, Oh, okay. Yeah, he he has it, or he's getting it. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I always like to look for, you know, there's actually a couple of different categories here. I like to look at sort of those anticipation throws that he had a great one week one against Chicago, right? When it seems like the ball is coming out, and I always I'm always reminded of when I talk about this 
a great quote that of all people Antonio Brown had about this. You know, back when Ben Roethlisberger was hurt years ago with the Steelers and Landry Jones had to start, and you know, he told it was back when it was Nansen Sims in the booth. He told them, look, you know, if I see the quarterback throw the ball, it's too late. You know, you got to get it out before I turn. And then when you see a quarterback sort of waiting and making those throws when receivers are perhaps looking for the football, you know, that's a sign that the game's still a little bit too fast for them, not really trusting it. So that's one area that I look for. And I also look for, you know, are they sort of taking what the defense gives them? And I know in this era of sort of offensive football, it's, you know, you want to create explosive plays, you want to push the ball downfield and be aggressive. But when you have a quarterback like Love that's, struggling with turnovers, struggling with completion percentage, you know, struggling with adjusted completion percentage and ball placement issues and things like that. Averaging 9.9 intended air yards per throw, the most of any quarterback in the NFL, might not be where you want to live right now. You might want to attack more horizontally, bring the ball within that 0 to 10-yard range, you know, work underneath a little bit. It's going to make things a little bit easier for you. It's going to make the throws a little bit easier to complete. It's going to give your receivers, provided, you know, there's some separation and play design is working some chance to make that yardage up after the catch. And so I think that's something that I really want to see from love in these next couple of weeks. That's going to take that completion percentage up. That's going to take the adjusted completion percentage up. Yes. It might not be explosive and flashy, but you know, if you're constantly taking these shot plays downfield, you know, and suddenly first to 10 and second 10 and become third and 10 as a result, it's not quite working. You know, maybe get into yourself, get yourself into a second and five, get yourself into a third and two, you know, by living underneath a little bit. And that's going to make that offense be able to sustain drives as a result. I said that in the beginning of the season, I thought, you know, three, four, five games, you'll start to get an indication as to Jordan Love. After a couple of games, teams will start scheming for him and you'll start to see some of the things that are weak be exploited by defense. I think we're starting to see that. And you know, even Mark Murphy, the president of the Packers, said ah, seven or eight games well, at least to take a look to see what he's bringing to the table. So now that we've seen teams begin to scheme, basically saying, go ahead, throw over the middle. Go ahead, throw deep because you're not going to connect there. We'll give you the quick outs, but we're also going to execute to the point where you're only going to gain a couple of yards and it's going to be high percentage passes, but you're not going to get a lot of yards on them. So, at what point do you see Matt LaFleur say, okay, we're going to have to open up this playbook more. We're going to have to make him adapt more to what we're now seeing defensively. I mean, I think that's now. I mean, you know, the, the seven or eight games, I think in terms of an overall evaluation for Jordan Love is certainly fair. I always like to sort of delineate by the holidays, Halloween, Thanksgiving, you know, Christmas, New Year's. That's kind of how I delineate and carve up the NFL season. But I don't think you wait until then to start making these adjustments because – as you said, defenses are going to, you know, give you some stuff underneath because they're more worried right now about you being aggressive. They're going to force you to sort of some of these high percentage throws at times. They're going to come downhill and rally. You have to do some things schematically. You have to sort of layer your route concepts better. You know, you have to work some flood concepts, you know. So he's got three receivers in that line of sight, you know, whether you structure with a vert, an out, and a flat, or – you know, a post of uh, an out and a, a sit down over the middle or something like that. You've got to layer these routes. So it's all sort of in his line of sight. And it's just, okay, well, if I really don't have this deep shot, I don't have to move. I don't have to change my vision, my line of sight. The other two options are right there in front of me. You have to start opening that playbook up now to get him to adapt. I mean, it, it's, it's not a situation where you wait because – Defensive coordinators aren't going to sort of sit around and wait and make it easy for you. 
So I think if you're if you're Lafleur, you have to start that process now. Uh, looking around the rest of the National Football League, obviously it was kind of a weird topsy-turvy weekend when you talk about some of the upsets that were, but we're also seeing these teams that are starting to merge, but are they fooling us or not? Now, we know Miami's for real because of their speed. Buffalo beats them and then goes to London and gets beat by Jacksonville. I can't figure out what's going on in the NFC North because that's so up and down with Pittsburgh knocking off the Baltimore Ravens right now. Jacksonville getting a win but losing a couple of games early. Right now in the AFC, who's your clear front runner? I mean, I, I think it's hard because obviously Buffalo just beat Miami, you know, and I, I think Buffalo right now, even though they have that win, they're very banged up, particularly on the defensive side of the football. And you look at Miami with that speed, you think about if those two teams played right now, it's, I think, a much different game, you know, because Buffalo is very banged up on the defensive side of the ball. Miami is so fast, so explosive, so creative. Now they just lost their rookie running back, and so – you know, maybe that offense takes a step back. Of course, you still have the Kansas City Chiefs that are lingering. And last I checked, Patrick Mahomes is still there. That's still going to make them a team to contend with down the stretch and into the playoffs. I, I think those are probably the three teams to look at. Um, you know, and I would give the edge, I think, to Miami right now just because of their team speed. They're just so quick, so fast, so explosive, so dangerous. Now, we've seen this before with them. We saw it last year, but they had the two-way injury. You know, they don't have a situation like that to contend with at this point. And so I think right now, given where we are in week, you know, heading into week six, it's Miami. The uh, the rumors are floating around out there that the Broncos could possibly trade off some of their wide-receiving talent. If you're the Packers, would you look at this point for a veteran wide receiver to work alongside Jordan Love? I mean, I think it's certainly something that couldn't hurt. You know, depending on what you would have to give up to do that, you know, because I think adding another viewpoint, another sort of experienced NFL receiver who can, you know, give some insight, offer some insight on these things like these anticipation throws and things like that, where it's like, look, you know, this is what's worked for me. This is what's worked for teams in the past, you know, doing it this way certainly might help you might make life a little bit easier for you in the pocket for you in terms of getting that completion percentage up. You know, sometimes, look, you know, you might want to hit me, but I, I will tell you that because of this coverage, because of the way they're shading towards me on this route design, I'm not your best option. You should look elsewhere for the, for the football. Because, you know, this year is, I think, for many reasons, about Jordan Love and about getting him to where he needs to be as a quarterback. And if adding that veteran receiver could get you closer to achieving that goal, I think it's worth doing. Uh, I want to go over to the NFC. You got two undefeated teams, and what uh, the <laughs> what San Francisco did to the Cowboys was almost humiliating uh, for the Cowboys because they came in with that defense that was so vaunted. Although they were beating up on lesser teams, they had no answer for what Brock Purdy and company were throwing at them. Uh, are we looking now? I mean, even though Philadelphia went to the Super Bowl and they're undefeated as well, is San Francisco clearly the best team in the NFC? I think right now they are. I think they have shown over these past couple of weeks and the way they've started the season that there seems to be a little bit of a gap emerging between San Francisco and Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is going to be okay. They've got some things. You know, red zone offense has been an issue for them. They were number three last year in touchdown percentage in the red zone. They've dropped to like 27 this year. You know, they've had some situations down in the red zone where first down doesn't go their way, second down doesn't go their way, and suddenly you're third and 10 in the red zone. And that's sometimes tough to convert because things get 
tighter and more constricted down there. But I think the Eagles still have an extremely good offensive line that is going to help them. So I still think right now the Eagles and the Niners are the clear one-two in the conference. But what San Francisco has done, I think they've established themselves as the one. With respect to Dallas, I think as we've seen over the past couple of years between those two teams, San Francisco and Dallas, the Niners are just an extremely bad matchup for the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, right. Dallas said all offseason into this game, like, look, this is more than a regular season game. You know, we're going to be physical with them. We're going to go in there into San Francisco and hit them in the mouth. And, you know, somebody did get smacked in the mouth, but it wasn't the Niners. It was Dallas. And, you know, that matchup just seems to be weighted heavily in San Francisco's favor right now. And if you're Dallas, if you want to get to where you want to be as a team and to a Super Bowl, it probably has to go through San Francisco at some point. You need to figure out how to make that work because it's not working what you're doing right now against that team. Mark, real quick, before I let you go, uh, going back to the Packers now, I know we talk a lot about the defense and a lot about Joe Barry, a lot about, about the scheme and such, but even though the Packers are ranked really low against the run and 15th overall defense in the National Football League, are they play, Matt LaFleur likes to use the term complementary football. Like both sides are playing complementary football. Is the defense doing enough to win games, in your opinion? I mean, I think on a game like Monday night, the defense probably did enough to win a game there. You know, when you have three interceptions from the quarterback, like even one a late game sort of situation when you're in sort of a hurry up mode, it's hard to win games when you're turning the ball over like that. You know, I, I think it's a situation where if Jordan Love only has maybe one or two interceptions, maybe you do win that game. You know, I think there are things in, in Joe Barry, I know amongst, you know, Packers media and, you know, Packers Twitter or X, you know, is kind of become sort of the people point to and say, you know, why do you have Preston Smith covering Devontae Adams in the slot? Like, what are we doing here? Um, when you've got, you know, a guy like Lucas Van Ness who's caught between covering a slant route to Jacoby Myers or rushing the passer and he's sort of caught in no man's land. You know, I think there are things schematically that you can point to that you could probably change, but you could probably say that about any defensive coordinator in the schemes that they're running. And so I think right now they're not playing complimentary football, but especially on Monday night, the Wolves were more on the side of the offensive side of the ball than the defensive side of the ball. Mark, always great to talk with you, and we will chat again next week for sure. I appreciate it, okay? Thanks so much, Bill. Have a great week. Enjoy the games this weekend. Thanks, pal. You too. There you go. That's our buddy Mark Schofield of SB Nation, and we'll enjoy the games, only for the fact that uh, we don't have to really have a vested interest in any side of all of that. Uh, good. There you go. I thought maybe Grant fell asleep or was no. I wasn't asleep. Studio. That's not what happened, Bill. No, no, no. <laughs> That's me, Bill. Sorry. Yeah, Ebo's in here. Sorry about that. <laughs> We're getting ready for the huddle tonight. Okay, okay, I can see that. And uh, well, find out if Ebo wants to be a judge and come to town and hang with us at Stenny's on that Saturday night, the twenty eighth. I bet he judged some that. costumes. I like that. That would. I think. Uh, I think he would do that too. That that'd be one hell of a night. We'd have the whole, you know, bring Rowdy. You have the whole morning show represented. We we'd own that place. Rowdy would take it so he'd be all business. He'd show up with a binder. He he would, and he would give us some over and unders and bet against who and such. Either that, or we put him out in the crowd and let him handicap it. Of course, <laughs> yes, yes, maybe we, totally. Maybe we do that. There you go. Going to go ahead and take a quick break. Stay tuned. We are going to talk about what Matt Lafleur had to say. I promise you, it's all coming up next in the Bill Michael Show. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. All right, Team Pella, listen up. Thanks, John Kuhn. 
Customers love our products with limited lifetime warranties. Check out these big plays. Incredible innovations like blinds and shades between the glass. No interference on that play, coach. And stylish windows with hidden screens that make game days a breeze. Can it get any better? It can. With monthly payments as low as $19 per window, $75 per patio door, and a free quote at PellaWI.com. Let's go. Whether you're looking to replace older damaged windows and doors or just wanting to revamp the look of your home, Pella offers a wide range of styles and materials to match your home's unique design. Hurry, take advantage of monthly payments as low as $19 per window and $75 per patio door at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Get your free quote today at PellaWI.com. 6.99 APR for 120 months. Serve restricted supplies. Showroom for details. Offers on 1031 I get asked all the time about uh, the water softening system that I talk about. What do you have in your house? And what I tell everybody all the time is it's a Kinetico system. I know it's not the easiest name to remember, but Kinetico water softening systems, absolutely fantastic. I can't ask for anything more. Uh, The water uh, doesn't have a taste, which which makes it great uh, when it comes to laundry and showers and things like that, doing my uh, dishes. Uh, no spots, no nothing. It's just, it's just awesome. It's just awesome, awesome stuff. And I've been do- using it now. I don't even know how long, over a decade for sure, uh, maybe 20 years. But it has been by far the best. And after, <laughs> excuse me, after 17, uh, no, I take that back. After 16 years, I replaced my system. I didn't have to, but I moved. And I was replacing some things along the way. So I, through two houses, three houses now, I've had the Connecticut water softening system. Absolutely love it. It is by far the best. And if you're thinking about changing, if you're thinking about just in, you know, upgrading your water, uh, maybe some of the uh, you know, areas that you live in have really heavy you know, metals in their water. They even can help you out with that. Uh, or <laughs> maybe you just want clean-tasting water and you want to have a reverse osmosis system that you can rely upon. Uh, so many different things that the Water Doctors offers. Uh, give him a call, 262-549-7733, 262-549-7733, and that's uh, John Atley and the gang at the Water Doctors. And if, say, you're uh, say you're in Duluth or Tomahawk or over in Green Bay, look, you may call down here and you go, hey, do you service us? And if they do, great. If they don't, give them a shout anyway because they will hook you up with a dealer near you to make sure that you are then taken care of because they oversee that as well. They're just good people. Good, good people. That's uh, John Atley and the gang at the Water Doctors. H2, the letter O, h2odoctors.com, or call them direct, 262-549-7733. And they are a huge supporter of the motorcycle ride in Fisher House, Wisconsin. We can't say thanks enough to them. So I want to go back because coming up at the bottom of the hour, uh, we're going to be back uh, on the phone. Uh, Sam Monson uh, is going to be joining us here coming up in a little bit from Pro Football Focus. So we're going to talk with Sam. But I want to get into what Matt LaFleur had to say. So he talked about a couple of things specific. He started out right away talking about you need something to hang your hat on. And then he said, it's like he was listening to the program. And then he said, we need an identity because we're having to scheme a scheme. 
And then he talked about putting a ton of information on the young guys and you want to scale it back and, but you, every week they got to learn. So do you give a new game plan every week or is it, and he's like, no, not a new game plan, but we just add to what it is. We're already trying to highlight or accentuate. And then he talked about the confusion by Luke Musgrave uh, because it was the concept of the play rather than the actual route. And uh, so it, it, he's, he concentrated on needing to, you know, you, you can't make the same mistake twice. So something to hang your hat on. I want to go back to that because he emphasized that. What at this point can you hang your hat on? What is your bread and butter? He talked about putting Jordan Love under center more, which helped the run game. But what is your bread and butter? And I thought that was an interesting comment right out of the shoot. What is your bread and butter? And if I had to ask all of you right now, what's the bread and butter of this offense? Maybe the run game? But that that was a, a very quick comment, but it was, he, he emphasized it. He emphasized it. I don't think this team has bread and butter yet, Bill. They're too young. Right? They have flour and eggs and whatever else. You, I don't, yeah. I'm not a baker. I don't know what goes into bread. But what Matt LaFleur should be doing is looking at his ingredients and saying, okay, what can I do with this guy and that guy? And, this? and then weeks down the road or a year down the road from now, all of that combines to make an offense. But Matt LaFleur should be trying to scheme for his players, not trying to get his players to run a certain scheme. Don't you think? These guys are kids. Yes. Yes, and that was one of the things when he started to get into that discussion about scheming a scheme. And he talked about how you're trying to keep it simple for the guys, but it's got to be complex for your opponent's defense, which there's there's a fine line there. But he said we carry over more week-to-week rather than a new script for our opponent. It's overblown. If we execute and score points, nobody's talking about this. A lot of opportunities were out there. Uh, and then he talks about, uh, you know, a lot of good perimeter looks and such and talking about the screen game, but we didn't execute. Well, on one point, he's like, duh. He said, you know, it's overblown. If we execute and score points, nobody's talking about this. Well, yeah, because you're winning games. <laughs> duh. The question is, is it the execution of the play or is it the play? And he talked over and over and danced around better play call, better situation, this and that. Play calls. He he had he he went through like five or six specific plays where they had the play called against the defense that was being run. They had it. It didn't get executed. The last play yeah. on offense of the game. That shot to Christian Watson. That was the perfect play call. He was open. Yes. Jordan Love just took too long to get the ball there. So exactly. Malafleur in this this presser, he fell on the sword, but I think it's it's a lot of execution. Matt Lafleur just didn't come out and say it. Right. Exactly. And that was part of what it is I thought was so interesting about some of the things that he had to say. People just get caught up in the, oh, he sounds so bored or boring. You know, no, 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 no. Listen to what he's saying. He and like you said, he fell on the sword. Well, we got to be better. I got to coach better. Blah blah blah. Yeah, that's coach speak. But basically, he said, "Look, we've had some perfect plays called. The execution of these plays has not been successful." He didn't allude to the quarterback directly, but quite a few times when you think about the plays that he's indicating, it was it was a a slow read by Jordan Love. And granted, there was a couple of plays, a screenplay where. 
if they would have had a hat on a hat and everybody got blocked, well, it's no big deal then. You know, the, the play actually becomes successful rather than going back to being a, a three- or four-yard loss or, or a no gain. But he talked about that. He, he's like, look, some of these things, the, the plays are called pro- appropriately, even though you can call it antiquated or out of date or whatever, you know, old school play calling. But he's like, the plays were, we called were actually the right play. And I just thought it was interesting that he basically was saying some of these things are just the execution of the guys that are on the field. And he talked over and ago. He used the he used the term you can't make the same mistake over and over again. You can't make the same mistake twice. We can't make the same bad mistakes again and again. He said that three times, three times. So it must be where they're looking at the film, and there's some guys that just for whatever reason aren't getting it. And on one hand, you can say, well, the player isn't getting it. Okay. But also, you got to coach them up. That's what coaches do. You get them to understand the concept. But right now, as he said, they don't have anything to hang their hat on. There's no identity there. He did say, which I, I found interesting when we talk about the, the defensive side of the football, uh, when Devontae Adams was being, was being covered by Preston Smith, could always burn a timeout there, yes, but we all know how how valuable in the second half timeouts are. Then he went on with he said we and then took a long pause. Long pause. It said it's not an advantage to us. Uh we could do better. We can be better. Things we can do from a coaching stance that can put our players in the best position to have success can be better. Now we know who he's talking about there. That's Joe Barry. And then, he, that's that's Joe Barry in that defense. And again, you know, because the question was legit, why in the world? He praised Preston Smith and his coverage ability, and he thinks highly of P, as he calls him. But why in the world is Preston Smith on one of the premier wide receivers in the National Football League? And he said, we didn't want to call a timeout because we value them, which I find sometimes ridiculous because they'll burn timeouts stupidly on a lot of different stuff and sometimes on the play clock about to expire but he's and then the long pause he says we could be better things we can do from a coaching stance that can put our players in the best position to be success we have to do so there there was some answers there and like you said grant he fell on the sword but he actually opened the window and gave you a little bit more light as to what's going on behind the scenes well, and I guess Packers fans can take a little optimism from that, right? If if these young guys improve and they learn from what's gone on this first month, this team could really start to trend in the right direction. Could, yeah. we, we hope. Right, right, right. Yep. There, there's a lot there. Let's do this. Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus, Focus, going to join us when we come back. Stay tuned. we got a lot more to get to. I want to talk with him about a lot of this as well. In the meantime, don't forget, if you're looking for a home, you're looking for a first-time home, you want to get pre-qualified, you want to maybe refi your home, there is no better person to do it than Scott Ellis and Homeside Financial. Scott Ellis and Team Ellis, 414-791-7771. He's the one to help me out with my uh, home and home loan and refi and all that kind of stuff. And you can even ask him right now in today's volatile market, you can ask him about the 2-1 buy-down and get you even a better interest rate than most. So just give him a call. He said there's no reason not to buy right now if you're a, just, just because you're scared of the interest rate. 
414-791-7771. That's uh, Team Ellis, Scott Ellis from Homeside Financial here in the state of Wisconsin. 414-791-7771. More of the Bill Michael Show coming up. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. The all-new Potawatomi Casino Hotel has something you gotta see. Play more slots and games, and you could say, show me the money, to reveal up to 10 grand each Thursday. 800,000 in prizes is up for grabs. 40 winners each week. This October and November at Potawatomi, Milwaukee, when you're ready to win, just say, show me the money. More info at PaysBig.com. Must be 21 years old and a club member to play. You got to hit it, bang it, rock it, put it in the pocket. Hit it, bang it, rock it, put it in the pocket. Hit it, bang it, rock it, put it in the pocket. Good to have you. A lot of good stuff today. A lot of really good stuff today. This portion of the program being brought to you by our friends over there at Burn Pit Barbecue. BurnPitBBQ.com. Uh, That's BurnPitBBQ.com. Veteran-owned company based right here in the state of Wisconsin. But uh, they have grown exponentially, and they are one of the best veteran-owned companies, not just here, but in the country. And uh, it's all because of you, because you started hearing the message and going to the website, and whether it's uh, you know sauces, uh, all different types of barbecue sauces, rubs, hot sauces and such that they now make, that's uh, burnpitbbq.com. Again, burnpitbbq.com, burnpitbbq.com. Joining us now on the hotline uh, is our guy Sam Monson and uh, from Pro Football Focus joining us at PFF underscore Sam, at PFF underscore Sam. Sam, how are you doing today? Doing well. How about you? We're doing okay. We're trying to figure out what this uh, Green Bay Packers team identity is. Uh, we don't seem to really know. Matt LaFleur said he needs something to hang his hat on yesterday. So I, I guess to this point in the season, give me your assessment of all of this. Yeah, I think they're still trying to find that out as a, as a team. Um, and I think the problem right now is that they don't really have one. You know, it's that's the concern. Jordan Love is a, a young quarterback in terms of experience, still trying to find out what he is. At this level, um, the offensive line was fantastic when they had their starting five out there. It's been worse when they've had to go into the bench and has been giving up a lot more pressure than it did at the start of the season. That young group of receivers, I think, is a talented group, but they're making mistakes. And collectively, that's what's happening on offense. Is There's mistakes happening from every little piece of the puzzle, and no one area is good enough or efficient enough to make up for the mistakes that is happening elsewhere in the unit. So I think that's what we're seeing right now is it's just not a good enough group in its current state to overcome the inefficiencies and the mistakes that are happening uh, across the board. What At what point do you look at a quarterback and say, yeah, because most of us know. I mean, we all want to be reasonable and say, oh, you got to give him a season or got to give him two. And, you know, but at what point do you look at a quarterback and go, yeah, this guy doesn't got it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, obviously, the, the bigger the sample size, the more confident you are in those opinions. Um, we, It's a very strange case with a guy like Jordan Love because you have all that time sitting on the bench, and when you consider what he was as a prospect coming out of college, he was a an inconsistent player who didn't have his best season 
the, the final year in college, the, the year before that was a better performance from him, but made quite a lot of big mistakes, wasn't the most efficient quarterback in the world, really seemed like a prime, perfect candidate for, you know, developmental, learn from the sideline, learn from the bench kind of quarterback. Um, and he had those years behind Aaron Rodgers. And now a few games now into his sort of starting season, you're looking at him and you're saying he might be exactly the same guy as he was at Utah State. And if he is, that's probably not good enough to be a high-level NFL starter. The uh, the defensive side of the football, we we talk a lot about Joe Barry. There's a lot of angst here because they didn't change defensive coordinators in the offseason. I don't think the defense has been great. I think they need to be great. I think they need to be top 10 for this team to really have success to, to support what the offense is or isn't doing more so than anything. But I also don't think they've been horrible, at least not as horrible as maybe a lot of the uh, the eyeballs that have been on this team are saying. No, they haven't. They, they've been a lot better than last season, and certainly up front. I think that's the big difference between this group this year and uh, a season ago. Rashawn Gary looks spectacular. They're still easing him back into it. Once he gets up to a, a full workload, I think he's going to look like a, like any of the, the great pass rushers in the NFL. There's five or six of these guys right now that are all making strong defensive player of the year candidate um, claims. Gary, I think, is playing at that kind of level, just on a smaller sample size, but Devontae Wyatt, I think, looks like a much better player this year than he did uh, when he was barely able to see the field as a rookie. Kenny Clark's playing well. I think they have a much more, um, a much bigger threat this year up front than they had a season ago. And, you know, there's, there's some good performances on the back end. So it, it is a better unit than it was last season. But I agree with you. It's not, it's not so good that it's able to overcome everything that's happening on, on offense. Is this team, when you look at the Green Bay Packers, I, I don't think they're a team that's going to be vying for a postseason spot. Um, I start to go through the schedule, and I think we I think we went through it yesterday. I said six or seven wins that are winnable games for the, way, for the level of which they've played. Is that a fair assessment, or do you think they're better than that or worse than that? Um, it's in the right ballpark. I think they could threaten for a playoff spot, if only because I think those wild card spots in the NFC are going to kind of be up for grabs. You know, I think maybe there will be a team that emerges as a clear, uh, as well as the first clear wild card spot. You know, if Dallas keeps themselves on the tracks and doesn't have too many more of those San Francisco games, you could see them easily wrapping up one of those wild card spots. But the second and third ones might be an absolute free-for-all in, in the NFC. Um, maybe the Saints, you know, would be another team that wraps up a, a wild-card spot. But I do think that that third wild-card spot is going to be a target for quite a lot of teams in the NFC. And even with potentially a record that hovers around 500, I think a lot of teams are going to be vying for that spot late in the season. So I think you're right that they're probably going to fall below that, at least unless they swing back in the opposite direction with the pendulum and, and start getting a couple of their better performances out of the way in the next few weeks. But I, I don't think they're going to completely drop out of that playoff picture because I think that bar for that final spot will be lower than maybe people are expecting it to be. Uh, I, I still think uh, Detroit is still one of the better teams in the NFC sitting there at four and one right now, Tampa Bay coming back off of a bye. but what San Francisco did to the Cowboys and, and the Philadelphia Eagles very quietly rolling along and nobody's really talking about them because of what San Francisco did to Dallas uh, the, are those really the top three teams in the NFC right now, uh, San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Detroit? 
Yeah, I think so. And, you know, we, we're not sure Detroit is at that level yet. Um, they, I think it's fair to give them credit and acknowledge what they're doing. And, yeah, they beat the Chiefs, but it was a Travis Kelsey-less Chiefs. You know, and there's some other things that broke their way in that game. It was the kind of game they needed to win if they wanted to be taken seriously as a real contender. But you're right. The 49ers just showed where the level is. Um, and I think the Eagles are muddling along and winning every game, even though they're not playing at that level as well, which I think is a, a good thing from their perspective. So those are the two teams. And then Detroit is trying to show that they belong at that level and, and that they can get there as well. Uh, but those are definitely the three teams that are a step ahead of anybody else. I, I'm enjoying this season because all the ones that we predicted to be good are pretty much good, but everybody's kind of taken that inexplicable loss. I mean, Miami losing badly to Buffalo, then Buffalo going over and losing badly to Jacksonville. You've got Pittsburgh beating Baltimore. Cincinnati's been nothing and finally starting to come back and look like a team. Kansas City took the opening loss, and since then they've been rolling along. I, th I think everything right now in the AFC, for as much as we talked about it at the beginning of the season, is still somewhat up for grabs. Would you consider that the same? Yeah, and uh, the same thing is true, um, you know, with a bunch of other teams as well. I mean, Detroit are one game against Seattle away from being undefeated along with those other powerhouses and, and looking absolutely like the best team in the NFL. So it's been particularly NFL this year where just as soon as you think you know what's going on, there's a, a game that makes no sense relative to the script gets thrown in there, and we all have to try and reassess the next week and try and figure out what that actually meant going forward. Um, but yeah, the AFC, they're kind of beating each other up. It's maybe not as strong as it looked on paper heading into the season. I, I think there's still a few very good AFC teams, but the NFC certainly at the top looks like it has the teams that can hang with them. Sam, always good to talk to you. Love picking your brain and we'll, we'll talk again real soon. Okay. Sounds good. Take it easy. Perfect stuff. There you go. Sam Monson. You can uh, also see the podcast PFF NFL pod. Uh, they do the podcast over there for the Pro Football Focus Network, and they got a great podcast talking about all the stuff in the NFC and where teams are at. You've obviously got some some issues right now in Indianapolis with Richardson going down, being put in the IR. He's going to be down there at least four weeks. They're looking more like eight weeks before his recovery begins. You got Justin Jefferson going to the IR. You got some other names that are going to be off the field. A uh, big look today to uh, a cover story via the four-letter network ESPN that talks about the NFL and talking about replacing the turf fields because we saw a couple of non-contact injuries again this weekend in regards to turf fields and um, some of the things that are going on uh, when it comes to the discussion of finances in the NFL as to why they will not replace the turf fields with natural grass. So we'll get into that as well. Stay tuned. Got a whole lot more of the Bill Michael Show. Good stuff from Sam Monson, man. Good, good stuff. More, more of the Bill Michael Show coming up next. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. All right, Team Pella, listen up. Thanks, John Kuhn. Customers love our products with limited lifetime warranties. Check out these big plays. Incredible innovations like blinds and shades between the glass. No interference on that play, coach. And stylish windows with hidden screens that make game days a breeze. Can it get any better? It can. With monthly payments as low as $19 per window, $75 per patio door, and a free quote at PellaWI.com. Let's go. Whether you're looking to replace older damaged windows and doors or just wanting to revamp the look of your home, 
Capella offers a wide range of styles and materials to match your home's unique design. Hurry, take advantage of monthly payments as low as $19 per window and $75 per patio door at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Get your free quote today at PellaWI.com. 6.99 APR for 120 months. Certain restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Offers on 1031 Got to say thanks to our friends at Point, the Point, Stevens Point, Point Brewing. Brewing excellence since 1857 and uh, plenty of different brands I enjoyed this year. The uh, the Lakeside Ale. Also, uh, when you talk about uh, the uh, Drop Dead Blonde, which was awesome. And then there's just the the Amber, which is really, really good. And it's all from Point Brewing with a big selection of, uh, obviously, beers and root beers as well. So check out our friends at Point Brewing whenever you're heading into your local grocer or whatever store, whatever liquor store, whatever beer store, whatever place you happen to go to. Don't forget about our friends locally brewed right there, Point Brewing. Brewing excellence since 1857, Stevens Point Brewery. Terrific place. Was there earlier this year. So good, good stuff. Um, the uh, Let's see here. I got a couple of different things. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Matt LaFleur coming up after the top of the hour. I did want to get into this, and the whole turf debate uh, kind of popped up again. Uh, It's a big article written uh, via uh, ESPN, and they started talking about the policy and the money. And look, um, the, the issue of money comes into this. It's estimated that a natural grass field, uh, could cost a cold weather team like the Packers two million to three million dollars per year to maintain it, including every time they have to resod four hundred thousand dollars. That's according to uh, the research done at Michigan State University. Turf fields would cost approximately one point two five million to install and to maintain totally. According to the Capital Improvements Board, boards which uh, operate Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, the prices, however, vary by market. Now, there's 30 NFL teams, including two that are shared by two teams, and they split evenly with 15 featuring various forms of grass and 15 using different types of synthetic turf. Aside from the improvements in turf technology, the argument against converting all 30 fields to grass includes the facts that most stadiums uh, are publicly owned. Those municipalities often hold events throughout the year, and turf is cheaper than replacing natural grass. There's also a disparity when it comes to weather conditions, and the combination of those factors require 30 individual cases to determine whether or not grass, turf, or some combination of thereof is the most appropriate playing surface. Uh, They can't just say hybrid. Uh, you know, talking about the NFL's engineering committee, we can't just say grass. We can't just say synthetic. It's not the answer. We've got to figure out what particular composition is best given to circumstances involved. The NFL says improvements in turf technology have closed the gap on non-contact lower extremity injury rates and revealed last year that the rates during the 2021 season were statistically even. But as the NFL uh, PA pointed out uh, months later, the gap increased during the 2022 season 
and uh, 0.048 per 100 plays on turf in 2022, uh, where there was 0.035 on grass. And they say that we feel the data has proven our point. Uh, J.C. Treader, who uh, was with the Packers and is now the NFLPA president, says we feel that the player opinion is consistent. There are really only two bodies of people that are disagreeing at this point with us, people who manufacture turf and the NFL, and that's frustrating. The, uh, the rate of injury on turf versus, versus natural grass is distinctly different. 100% agree, but they do make the point of, hey, some of these places are publicly owned, and if it's going to cost 2 to $3 million a year to maintain versus $1.25 to put in and pretty much be done with it, if you're saying saving the, quote, taxpayers in those publicly owned facilities money, then that's what you have to do, unless the teams are willing, the teams are willing to then take that out of their bottom line. So if you're already spending 1.25 on, and by that you can take the turf where they have to repaint it, uh, they have to change it up, they, you know, they do different things with it, whatever, or you have to cover it, uh, you know, for concerts or dirt track, monster truck rating, I mean, whatever, I, whatever you got to do for it. I don't know what all goes into some of these stadiums. But basically what they're saying is, is that teams don't want to take one and a half million bucks out of their bottom line. To me, if the players want it that bad and the owners say, yeah, we are all about players' health and safety, then I think it should be a joint a joint payment. Hell, quarterbacks, a lot of quarterbacks in the National Football League could pay for that. Got another hour yet to go. I want to talk a little bit about more, a little more about what Matt LaFleur had to say. Stick around. We got a lot more of the Bill Michael show. It's all coming up, and it's coming up right after this.